you know, I guess by now it's safe to say that there is a lot going on in our world and we might be sitting around like this for a while in COVID um, and we definitely have spent some of us our whole lifetimes dealing with racism and um, I'm realizing that I might spend the rest of my lifetime talking about racism and being curious about racism and how it exists and how it's allowed to be perpetuated. One of the things that's really helping me because racism isn't something that you're like, oh, I'm going to like go to the gym and get in shape or I'm going to go to the doctor and take a pill for that. Racism is something that it's not really something I'm going to fix. Um, but it is something that I feel like I can contribute to moving the needle in a positive direction by having conversation about. And one of the people that I, I've had so many conversations recently, but this conversation with Kevin was really helpful to me um, in that he kind of came to opening his eyes to what's going on in our world um, around the time, like six years ago. So when he was like 20, it sounds like right about the time that um, everything went down in Ferguson with Michael Brown. And he started looking into it. And um, I don't know. I just, I learned a lot. He's passionate. He's open. And there's something about a young person that's open that is okay with me asking hard questions. And um, I don't know. I think that one of the best weapons that we have against racism and starting to sort of like flatten the curve of racism is dialogue and realizing that, you know, we're all just people and we all have these experiences. And if you think about how terrifying some of these life experiences can be that I, I've never, it's never happened to me and it's never happened to my children and it likely never will. Um, so to hear that from somebody else, what he's been through, what he's experienced, what he's seen his family members, what he's seen friends experience, um, but and yet he's still really soft-hearted and sweet and God-fearing and hopeful. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kevin Walton of Rock Era. And um, if you'd like to follow him on Instagram, his Instagram handle is legit underscore k-dub so it's l-e-g-i-t underscore k-d-u-b and on facebook he's just kevin walton and in real life he's just a cool guy so enjoy this conversation with kevin walton thanks Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us and having a listen on The Diana Show. Today, I have got the pleasure of talking to Mr. Kevin Walton. Kevin is a brand representative, basically, for the Orange County chapter of Rock Era. And you probably don't know what that is yet, but you have might have been seeing um, some posts on my feed. If you know me from uh, the stuff that I put on Instagram, and I have also um, interviewed Ari, who is of Rock Era as well. So I wanted to talk with Kevin because he's got a lot of t- stuff to tell us. So please make welcome Mr. Kevin Walton. Thank you for being with us, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Diana. Yeah, for sure. So um, can you first start by just telling us a little bit about yourself, like your backstory, your heritage, 
um, and how you came to where you are right now. Well, so um, I'm 25 years old. I live in Huntington Beach, California. Um, I'm originally from the Lakewood area of Long Beach, California. Mm-hmm. And I lived there up until I was about uh, 18. And mm-hmm. then I um, moved here to Huntington Beach. Okay. And I've lived here since, I want to say, 2014. Okay. February 2014. So um, a little over, what is it, 2020? I want to say about six years now. Okay. And uh, it's just, it's a huge contrast to Long Beach. I, yeah. Everybody was telling me when I first moved to Orange County, oh, it's going to be great. You're going to live by the beach. It's great. Little did they know, you know, they forgot to mention that there's a lot of blatant racism in mm-hmm. Orange County compared to the diversity in Long Beach. So mm-hmm. that's just something I've kind of grappled with since I moved here. Yeah. Yeah, I heard you, st- we were both at the um, the city council uh, meeting for Huntington Beach last night and I heard when you were up making your speech you said something about you know a story of just like coming here and just immediately kind of being like asked not to steal something when you're in the Seven Eleven, and you know the way that you told it was so sort of like almost like you were telling it like you're a comedian because you know you it wasn't like you were even coming off angry you were just like what are you talking about me like I'm so harmless but it is interesting, yeah. the stories that I hear repeating themselves of people that go through that in this area. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny, you know, that's why, I don't know if you caught that, but I kind of chuckled when I said yeah, that, because I, I turned around, I pointed at myself, and I was like, wait, is he talking to me? There's nobody else in the store, and then it kind of yeah. dawned, I'll be like, ooh, Kevin, this is like racism right here in your face, and I'm just like, wow. So, you know, it, it, was, it was wild, it was really crazy. And what, it was tell really me what crazy. your heritage is. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm what people like to call a mutt. I'm a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, my dad's, my dad's father was um, African-American. And then my dad's mom was actually, I really hope I get this right. It's, uh, uh, she was, she was part Native American, but I'm trying to think if she was either Iroquois or Navajo. I'm trying, mm-hmm. it's hard to remember, but I know she's Native. I know, I know she's Native and, um. My mom's side is uh, white and Filipino. Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm a mixed. There. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Great food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got, a, you've got a lot of good heritage in there. Not that we all do. Yeah. Um, oh, no. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of beautiful people. Yes. Lots of beautiful people. So you got to Orange County and um, you said that in 2014, that was incidences that happened at that time were really what kind of like opened your eyes a bit and you started studying that um yeah I started sensing that and then uh you know with the death of Michael Brown Mm -hmm. you know then I kind of I kind of put those uh, emotions that I had towards those and then I you know saw this and and people like to I don't know if you watch the watch the news but if you've ever taken a second watch CNN and Fox you know they like to push their own agendas as well as tell you the story mm-hmm. and I kind of take what they say with a grain of salt I just like to do my own research and just how they painted this poor kid is just awful you well, know tell this, me this, about this, that because I like, so, said you're interested in Michael Brown I had just gotten done interviewing his cousin Bree Webb and um I was so embarrassed I'm so embarrassed by that interview um she was wonderful but I yeah she's amazing I was completely ignorant I I'm in the middle of editing it but it's taking me longer because I really want to do it again with her but 
after I got off the phone with her, then I went and I didn't know that that was her cousin. I didn't know anything about Brie. I didn't get a preliminary call with mm. her to sort of like talk about what, and I never mm. heard her speak. Someone just was like, oh, you got to interview Brie Webb. And I'm like, all right. And um, talking to her, you know, I talked to her for like an hour and I, you know, oh, yeah. I'm like quickly like researching Michael Brown on my phone while I'm trying to talk to her. But now that I know a little bit more about it and I've seen the way uh, that they talk about it in the news, I'm curious to hear what your take is on it. So it's just it, like, I, like I said, you know, if you ever watch CNN and Fox, you know, they like to put their own spin on it. And it's just evil, you know, the way certain media outlets portray this kid. You know, it's it's so much hearsay. It's so much saying, oh, he grabbed the gun. Oh, he did this. Oh, he was punching the police officer. It's like, which one was it? Because uh, a human being can only commit so many actions at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and here's what doesn't make sense to me. He had shots in his back, not just the front. So Why was did... he facing the officer? Was he not? Like, that's what doesn't make sense to me. And, and and it's just with all these shootings that we're seeing happening now and just all these deaths that we're seeing now, it's kind of like the same old song with it. And we're not really seeing any resolutions. And that kind of is what got me involved in 2014 was, boom, I see this Michael Brown's death. And I'm just like, OK, they're definitely going to, you know, put this guy away. And then he completely gets off. And then that's when I started having the conversations with my father and my friends and all this. And then they're saying, oh, Kevin, this is <laughs> this is a book that's been being written for a long time. Yeah. Just different ways. And, and it kind of it was a culture shock. OK, and they just woke well, me up. let me let me ask you this, because I I read like three or four articles and everything that I read said that he had shots only in the front, that three autopsies showed only shots in the front. Did okay. you read something that said it had shots in the back? I think what I meant, I'm sorry, you might be right, because I'm thinking that they entered and exited. But they, but see, there's there's multiple eyewitnesses. I, I have to, I would probably have to send you that at a later time. But I, I believe there's multiple eyewitnesses that their stories were all different. I mean, the only one that they took was, as you know, I believe it was his friend that was there mm-hmm. saying, you know, like, this is what happened. This is what happened. But then multiple, you know eyewitnesses were saying different things and it's just it's just like i said it it all just boils down to the obvious fact that that officer should not have gotten off that was murder you know and and it it's just really sad that it's coming to this point you know so i mean it's just it's just really a a travesty Mm -hmm. do you feel like okay so this is one of those uncomfortable conversations oh no i'm ready (laughs) (laughs) i'm ready um Okay, so I have a family who's in law enforcement, and one of my best friends works for the Orange County Sheriff's Department. And oh, so they're fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun for me to um, watch the way that, you know, things are pre- portrayed in the news. And it's also been very eye opening. And I think I included that last night, you know, a little paragraph about how I've always loved the relationship that I have with Huntington Beach Police Department, with the fire department, with police in general I'm not afraid and then now that we're having these eye-opening conversations I'm realizing like my friend Jen who okay she makes more money than I do she has a more powerful job than I do she's probably a better mom than I am but she's black so when she has a policeman behind her she gets nervous and sweaty and to be honest with you I drive around half the time I don't grab my purse I just throw some kids in the car I don't even have my license I can't tell you how many times I've been pulled over I don't have my license and I rattle off my license number 
and they check me out and I'm, you know, basically free to go. So it's been interesting for me to realize that I don't have the same fear. And I didn't, I didn't know that just like a normal everyday woman, like my friend Jen would have fear. Okay. So kind of like reconciling, like, and then, you know, how I felt six weeks ago about the sentence defend, not defend, defund the police. And now how I'm starting to think about it now, like, okay, what if we did take some of this money, these budgets and reallocate them to mental health care, um, uh, you know, a rape victims unit, like, and not put all this on police. Here's my question to you. And this is like kind of the uncomfortable part. Under okay. what, like, so for instance, if my son was going to go be a police officer, I would, I know it's a hard job, mm-hmm. right? I know. I've wanted to do it for so long, like, and I'll, and I'll tell you that and I'll admit to everybody who listens, like, like, that's something that I wanted to do since I was like four years old. Like I used to love police officers. Really? Used to, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We had a good friend uh, who's also named Kevin. His dad was a police officer for a really long time. And I used to always look up to his dad too. And they were friends with us, you know, and they went to middle school with me and stuff. Uh, Kevin did. And, uh, you know, he, um, his dad was really cool, you know, and they had a dog, like a canine unit and everything. You know, and I used to look up to them a lot. Yeah. So do you feel like there is a situation where a police officer would have to defend themselves? Of course. And should be able to defend themselves? Of course. And that's what's I'm probably going to get some backlash on. But I talked to Ari about that today. And she kind of was taken aback by what I said, but then she heard me out and she's like, you know, Kev, you're right. I mean, we're all, as human beings, we have, we have what we call a fight or flight response. So as an officer that has a badge and a gun and that you have the power that you have, you have to distinguish whether to use that fight or flight response. You are not only given a, a gun, but you're given a taser. And I think part of the problem is cops, especially nowadays, are so prone to just pulling the gun out than they are to really tasing individuals of color. And I, I don't know whether that's from the, all the way from the roots of policing mm-hmm. or if that's just something that's involved with the training or if that's just the person in general, like the one officer, but we're starting to see it. Be, I'm not starting. It's been a problem for a long time that hasn't been corrected. Mm-hmm. So to, to, so to to get kind of get to your the question that you're asking, uh, do I feel they need to defend themselves? Of course, everyone does, but there's a proper way to defend yourself, and there's a proper way to kill somebody. And I think that they're doing better at one than the other, and they need to fix that. Yeah, I think it's so interesting to watch um, and read, and and I mean, I think there's so many layers of like, you know, like for instance, like with the Michael Brown thing, you know, if you read about it. it the things that I read, um, the autopsies that were done, it, to me, it's like, if someone is taking your taser or punching you in the face, I don't know, for all I know, the, the, um, I forget the name of the police officer. It was it Darren Wilson, maybe Darren Wilson, Darren Wilson. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I guess he could have gotten out of his car and had one of his buddies punch him in the face a couple of times to kind of make mm-hmm. it look like, he or just, him. or there's a funny thing, not even punch him in the face, just pull him off him. I mean, we're talking about a teenager compared to two grown men. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like the Trayvon Martin thing, you know, same thing. You, uh, George Zimmerman wants to sit here and say, 
and God, that guy, man, he's a piece of work. But um, George Zimmerman wants to say, oh, I felt I felt threatened. Uh, th- th- this this little teenager who I'm way taller oh, than is just Such on top of me too. beating me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's that was another thing, you know, and I yeah. and, it, and it hurts me every day because I feel like I should have been up in arms when that happened. But you know what? I thought about it. I, I, I hashtagged it when it happened, all that stuff, but I didn't do anything about it. Yeah. And I that kind of hurts me in the long run. I'm just like, wow, I could have been involved so much sooner. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is something else to watch. And there's different levels because you know, you're you know, if you've got relatives or you know, your heritage is part black, you're definitely more um, associated with it. And then I was like, not very affected. You know, like it, it didn't really I'm like, Oh, there's another black boy. That's too bad. But it's not a kid. It's not another my son is six foot nine, and he's redheaded. And he weighs about 350. And it, oh, wow. Weighs, Dang, your son is cute. Your son is tall. <laughs> and, you know, we live right behind the, behind the Civic Center, right behind the police station. He used to go down oh, there wow. when he was like okay. 12 and use his Nerf guns and crawl up and down the stairs there. And then he would shoot movies there. And t- towards the time he was like getting out of that stage, I'm like, buddy, you are a big boy and you've got guns down there. So you better make sure you're not pulling those tips mm. off. And I'm sure, mm. you know, you know, I don't know that I would have let him do that if he was a black kid. You know, I don't know. That well, look at Tamir, look at, uh, look at Tamir Rice. Yeah. 12 years old. Yeah. Just playing cops and robbers. That's yeah. the one that kills me the most. I think that, that besides <sighs> Michael Brown, that one is, uh, I can't, I can't watch body cam footage or I can't read about it without tearing up. Yeah. I think that's the one that's that's like my kryptonite when it comes to protesting, especially when we start saying, you know, say that I don't know if you've been. Well, yeah, you've been to protest. So, you know how we say, like, say their name and then they'll, yeah. we'll say a name whenever it's Tamir Rice. I probably do it th- two, three oh, times max and I have to. Oh, whoops. Hello. Oh, I got you back. OK, cool. OK. Um, uh, you know, when we do say their name, you know, when we do Tamir Rice, I can only do it two or three times and then I have I to step away. Yeah, I have to step away because that name specifically to me hurts, you know, and it's it's really, like I said before, it's a travesty. It's sad that this is happening. And he was so young. He was so young. What do you, OK, so <laughs> you brought up body cams. What is your feeling on body cams and why do you think that we are not having them on full shift? Like- so actually, <laughs> I'm, ooh, that's a great topic. Um, <laughs> so man that was good um I actually talked to Ari about that and we actually came up with something that I can share with you all that's awesome so rock okay. era rock era has an idea to we're gonna make it so that we're gonna change the software on, we're gonna install software on the body cams we want them to install software on the body cams where there's no off switch so how it's gonna work is your body camera is gonna be on the moment, let's say, okay, you put your uniform on in your locker room, you step out and you get into your car. The moment your car turns on, your body camera's on. And it doesn't turn off till you get back to the station because it's going to use location services on the body cam. They're going to put a chip in it. And it's going to make sure your car is parked and off and then your body camera's off. Okay, so, what are you guys going to do if someone has to urinate? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Um, I mean I mean they're gonna 
it's a bug that needs to be worked out but i yeah, think that, yeah, yeah, i think that that's yeah. a great idea and i i often have wondered like you know that seems like like i said if my son were a police officer i'd want him to have a body cam on because i think it ruins the life obviously it ruins the life of the person who gets hurt and it ruins the life of the person who hurts the person you know exactly. we should be able to see exactly what's going on so it's not a court of public opinion or there's no question of what actually happened um, yeah, you know, there's which I is crazy because we don't get a court of public opinion when it comes to police officers. Because I mean, they just get off and we just learn about it two, three weeks later, you mm-hmm. know, and it's sad, and that's part of it. But yeah, that's a good bug. I'll bring that up to Ari. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, what if someone has to use the bathroom? How are we gonna turn that off? That's a good. That's a good question. We didn't even think about. Yeah. So I'll definitely bring that up with her. But yeah, but you know, I mean, you start thinking about those things, and I mean, that's that's a that's a great idea. Oh no, definitely. I'm sure that there's some way to work, some kind of a workaround. Okay, well then, let me ask you this: Um, What else are you guys talking about doing with Rock Era? So Rock Era, um, we plan to we 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 plan to help all people, regardless of color. So it's not just limited to the Black Lives Matter movement. It's not Mm -hmm. just limited. Kind of what we were talking about before we got on the air was, with me and you, Diana, was you said how, like about DACA, you know, the dreamers, you know, all the people in cages, we're for all of that. We're Mm -hmm. for getting rid of all of that. You know, we, except DACA, you know, obviously want to keep, I mean, I don't mean get rid of that, but I mean, you know, we, we want to make sure that, you know, everybody's taken care of. And that's why, you know, the ROC and rock represents regardless of color. Mm-hmm. So we want to just dismantle all forms of racism, whether it be systemic towards blacks, systemics towards, you know, Mexicans, systemic towards Native Americans. You know what I mean? All of that. Yeah. All of that. And so what we're planning to do as far as, you know, like you said, uh, I believe your question was, you said, as far as, um, what we're planning is, you know, we're, we're trying to create a hub to where activists can have a voice, you know, cause it's hard, especially for me, you know, starting this year with the death of George Floyd coming up as a protester, you know, and coming up as an organizer, you know, it's hard to get your name out there so other people can collaborate with you. We're going to kind of help with a boost for that. We're going to be, we're just going to show up and we're going to support whoever the, the organizer is. Mm-hmm. That's how I met Ari. She was literally just some random person that came up to me and was like, Hey, I'm here to support you. I got you. That's yeah. literally how we met. It's a great story. That's yeah. literally how we met. So that's kind of our mission is to help everybody regardless of color. Yeah, that's uh that's quite an undertaking. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a lot. Oh it's it's uh it's oh trust me, I, we 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 haven't even I mean we have a logo, we have a mission statement, we have all that, but it's hard because it's it, like you said, it's it's huge. It, I'm talking about the world, you know, not just, you know, one specific place and it's it's really tough you know like you said yeah it's it's the world so I feel like almost for me like the last six weeks has been like me slowly peeling layers off of an onion and there's just more and more and more oh yeah every day every Mm. time I watch something there's something some new way some new injustice that I'm like holy shit on a stick I just watched uh (laughs) I watched this exactly. Oh yeah. Doc- I watched this documentary about. Uh, I just happened upon it while I was on the bike, riding the bike this morning. But it was basically about how in the fifties we tore down um, 
you know, the quote unquote projects or they called them the slums back then. And then we built the projects Mm -hmm. and and it really (laughs) has screwed the culture in, you know, New York and these big urban cities um, because it stops people from being outside and like having that, you know, having that heartbeat. And, and, and it's just like, wow, well, there's another way that we shit on people of color, you know, because exactly. people of color were the ones that lived in those areas. So it is interesting oh, no, to me. It is interesting to me. And it is a lot, it was a lot more fun to wake up like happy and, you know, not feeling heavy about it because it is a very heavy feeling. It's a very, um, I feel ashamed in many ways. And uh, like, like last night at that meeting, one of the reasons I started crying at the end of, I saw that my speech was just like, how can I listen to the, you know, like those people that are walking in that were the older crowd from Huntington, the older white crowd that are, you know, Mm -hmm. they come out, take their time to stand in line to say something like, oh, it's because they don't have fathers. And (laughs) It it just to me it's like a level of cruelty and mm, unkindness yeah. that's very hard for me to accept yeah. from people who look like my aunts and uncles, frankly. And <sighs> to not be able yeah, to take that's... a broader view of what's really going on, and it's just it's not really that hard to pick up a book and read, and uh, you know, figure out why we have one in three black men in jail versus one in seventeen white men in jail it's just not that hard to put those pieces of the puzzle together and i don't understand you know i'm not saying you have to have a deep dive or make your whole life about black lives matter and like you know wrap your whole world around it but and you definitely have to have a balance but at the same time like how can you how can you go and 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 say you know these these kids disgust me you know (laughs) And have oh, no understanding me, of yeah. what, what it must feel like to be the 1% of a population in a town like ours. Where I know, I've seen racism. I've seen racism here. You know, oh, I've, yeah. seen the, I've seen, you know, the, the kids who look like neo-Nazis in their board shorts around here. And you, you should know. look up. Uh, you should look up back in the eighties what they used to do to black people in Huntington Beach on, yeah. the, on the corner of Main Street. They used to curb stomp them right there on Main Street. And then wow. they'd throw them back in their cars and make them drive away. And I'm not, and it's funny, I'm not, when I tell people this that aren't, you know, black or Mexican or a person of color, they look at me like, wow, you're just talking about American History X. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. And I'm like, no, I'm like, no, that, that's, that was a reality. And you can't, (laughs) it's not just Hollywood. You can't unsee that movie either. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. And that's, and that's what a lot of people think, you know, um, and I wanted to ask you personally a question. Do you know the origins of the, of police? Do you know the exact origins of how they were created? Um, the slave catching is what I've seen. Yes. Yes. TV. The slave runners, the mm-hmm. slave runners. So mm-hmm. um, after this is over, I'll send you a link to, they just recently did an interview with, he was a, he was an aide for president Obama. And I don't know if you knew that um, Obama was actually writing police re- reformation legislation he had like a huge plan mm. and he actually just unveiled it like uh, the last year of his presidency, but it got swept under the rug because mm-hmm. politics. Yeah. And um, they did an interview with him on Sunday morning. I think it's on CBS on Sunday morning. And it was just insane how deeply rooted racism is in police. Yeah, You know, they used to, they used to, and the whole issue of, 
people not living in the cities they police goes back to the days when they first had the slave runners because they would do that on purpose so that slaves wouldn't know these these white people mm-hmm. they wouldn't know these owners they wouldn't know these masters they wouldn't know these people that were enforcement officers so they would just say oh it's just a random white person i'm good when in reality right. he's a slave catcher you just haven't seen him before because he's not from your city yeah and that's and that's what people don't understand it's so deeply it's so deeply rooted in police culture that people just automatically think oh no that's just a that's just a I had someone tell me that I told somebody that and I was educating them over in Tahunga which I'll talk about a little bit more too later on but this guy came up and said oh I fought for this country blah 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 and I tried to school him and tell him hey do you know the origins of the police department in you know the United States and he said no educate me I love when people tell me that because I said oh get ready so I told him this and this guy said, oh, no, you're making it up. I said, are you sure? And then I had a random person come over and Google it for him. And he looked and he read about read it for about five seconds and said, wow, are you serious? I said, yeah, they're glorified slave catchers. That's what the police was. Mm-hmm. And he just got taken aback. And that was the greatest feeling that I've ever had since I started protesting was seeing the shock on this man's face mm-hmm. after telling me such an ignorant statement like, oh, you're just making it up. That's a that's a lie. When in reality, he takes a step back and says, you know what, I, wow, I'm mistaken. You know, that that's insane. That's crazy. And it's still a, an issue. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was, that, was, that was just a really enriching moment with, uh, with that. If you, could, if you could paint a picture of what our police force would look like in 10 years, what, what would you want us to work towards? What, what do you think the um, goal is? M- obviously mental health mental health is a huge proponent um i'm a firm believer in that you don't you don't correct something if you made the mistake you know what i mean you have to like okay um i probably butchered that but um basically what i'm trying to say is i it's like a saying i don't know my mom tells it to me all the time and i totally forget because she said it to me so many times but uh it's basically when you make a mistake, right, and someone else is helping you correct it, it's not really you correcting it. It's somebody else paving the way. So when these officers get in these shootings, um, all of this, all of the psych evaluations that they're going through, you know, it, it's, it's, it's done by in-house people. Doesn't that kind of not make sense? I don't know, Diana. To me, it doesn't make sense. Why would somebody that works with you investigate you? You know what I mean? So they don't like have an outside company that c- comes in and consults. I, I, I'm not sure. I believe I, be- I believe it's internal because I think that's part of the, that's what Ari was telling me today. I could be wrong, but I don't know any companies that help out policing out with that. I think that they have their own in-house um, psychological evaluators because when you become a police officer, your psychological evaluators are people that work with it, that that have the desk jobs in the apart in the departments. So that's something that, you know, that's, that's something that definitely needs to change, especially when you're investigating, you know, police shootings that were wrong, like who's investigating the police. So the DA, right. But the DA is part of the system. So why wouldn't you want to get an outside source? Why wouldn't you want to get an outside investigation team to do the investigation for you? You know what I mean? Cause all these things are tied up together. All this legislation, all these things are tied up together in you know this long string of just inequality and it's and it's 
it just doesn't make sense. So that's one thing, mental health, the, the psychological evaluations. I would, I really want to see more um, social workers. I really, I don't understand. That's such a, that's such an undervalued profession. I mean, that's, I think social workers would really help these police officers with homelessness. They'd really help with domestic disputes. I, I really think, you know, like marriage counselors should be involved when it comes to, you know, the domestic disputes. And, and that's what I think should happen. I mean, I think that every, every time there's a call, I don't, I don't know if uh, you ever heard of who uh, it's, I think it's called cahoots over in Oregon. Have you ever heard of that? Diana? Mm-hmm. So it's a company that reroutes police calls to other 911 calls to other forms of um, social interaction. So for example, let's say you're calling me right and I'm a 911 operator. You say, oh, hey, there's a homeless man. He's out here. He looks kind of sketchy. What do you think would happen in Southern California or in California? They'll send a police officer, right? So mm-hmm. with cahoots in Oregon, what they do is they, they'll send a social worker out there with a police officer. And I'm not sure, but I believe the police officer is not armed. He just has his taser on him. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the social worker is the one that interact, is, that makes first contact with um, the person. Right. And I think cahoots, cahoots is a great stepping stone. I, I don't know why Oregon is the only one that has this. Like that should literally be everywhere. That would be perfect. Yeah. Well, it might be because then you're paying two people to go out there instead of one. I mean, hey, I'd rather I'd rather pay two people and make sure that the person's okay than just pay one person to go and kill them, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's sad to say, but I mean, you know, but um, that's something I would definitely want to see. And then last but not least, like I said, I was talking about the body cams earlier. I think that these people need more, uh, I want to say community outreach training or just community uh events in general and i feel like they should start i want i don't want to say make it a requirement because that's pretty hard but i i think your jurisdiction should be closer to the city that you live in you know what i mean like why is a guy from gardena gonna police huntington beach why is a guy from huntington beach that has the values and all this stuff that he grew up with in huntington beach gonna police watts like, like, come on, like, th- 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 that's two completely different worlds. Mm-hmm. That's like strapping on a helmet and telling them, hey, do me a favor. You you played football your whole life. Now you're going to play hockey. It's like, that's too complete. Like, like, you know what I mean? Or you're going to play, you know, any, some, uh, some weird other sport that he has no idea how to play. You know, that's two different worlds. Mm-hmm. I, I just, that's one of the things that baffles me. Mm-hmm. Just, you know. That's interesting. I think I'm trying to think like, what if they didn't have enough people that wanted to be police officers who were from Watts though, you know? That's true. I don't know. You're right. But, but see, that's my thing. I'm not, I'm not saying particularly in that you have to live in the city you're policing, but live in the general direction of it. You know what I mean? Like, okay, live in Hawthorne, but you can police Watts. Like that's not relatively far from each other. That's Mm -hmm. both LA County. You know what I mean? But it's like, when I lived in, like I told you, when I lived in Long Beach Lakewood area, that where my friend Kevin Mendoza lived, or um, my friend Kevin lived, it's like he, his dad, we lived, he lived there in Lakewood, but he was all the way in downtown LA. Yeah. And it's like, look at, look at, that's, that's a 40 mile difference. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, well, that's, I think that's that there's huge. like, I think that there's people who, you know, they go to work in LA and they don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to reside there, you know? Exactly. No, no, no. And I get you. And and yeah. that's, but, 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 but I, I, I'm just glad you see what I mean though, because like oh, that's yeah, something I that I brought up. So, I and think, I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that you are required um, when you're a firefighter, you're required to live a little bit closer to your. Exactly. See, why wouldn't you want to have that requirement for somebody holding a yeah. gun? Like that's even, that's even more so. Cause then you'll know your community. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like, like you'll know you'll know what's going on. You'd be like, oh no, that's oh we got this nine one one call. Oh, it's it's this homeless guy. And then you live in the area, and you're just like, wait a minute, oh that's just Henry, dude. He's harmless. He doesn't hurt anybody. He's just doing his thing. You know what I mean? Right. Like whereas you know if you live like I said, you live in Huntington Beach <laughs> and you go over there, you don't have any idea what's going on. Oh, it's just this random homeless guy. Get him. You know what right. I mean? Like you could save different people, or you know, you're showing up to different calls and you start to realize, okay, hey, this guy has a pattern. I've been mm-hmm. to this house two, three times. You know, maybe let's get this guy away from his wife or get this guy away from his family because he's constantly putting them in harm's way with these domestic disputes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not just gonna show up one time, kick the door and say, Hey, what the what the hell is going on? you know? Yeah. I'm gonna know what's going on because I've been here before. That's mm-hmm. kind of what why I'm saying what I'm saying, you know, it's just community. That's 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 the big point of what I'm trying to say. It's just commun- communal outreach is huge, especially right now, just because everything's so tense with yeah. police officers. Yeah, definitely everything's tense. So you went out to Tahunga to protest. Mm-hmm. What did you find out there? That energy is insanely awesome. <laughs> I mean, I. I Yes, and I would highly recommend, Diana, if you ever want to see peaceful protesting. Obviously, you see it in Huntington Beach. And it's a heat. It's a long drive. Trust me, it's long because I, I, like you, I live in Huntington Beach. It was a long drive. It was like mm-hmm. 50 miles. It was nuts. But wow. that drive out there, like, once I got out there, just the energy, you know, obviously having Ari and you are, she's amazing. But just being together with these people and saying, hey, you know what? this kid's from Huntington Beach, but he's on our side. We, we all love this kid, you know, and they're just, you know, sitting there, they're into it. Their spirits are great, you know, just, just camaraderie among everybody. And we're all there for a cause, but it's not just, it's, you you wouldn't even know we were there for a cause because we were so friendly with each other. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like, Oh, I just met this dude right now. Like, no, these people look like, you know, they could have been your friends for a long time. You would have had no idea. Like, and just the camaraderie was great. I personally only saw like, three counter protesters when we marched Mm -hmm. but this friday we're going again and counter protesters are heavily expected because they did not like what we did (laughs) yeah so they're going to be there this friday so that's now why are you guys choosing that particular venue um well uh, i don't i don't know if um ari told you this when you interviewed her but what happened was she went out there on juneteenth and you know um, her story, I, I don't really know all the story, so I'm not going to butcher it, but basically she went out there, things were going wrong, she took she took control, and you know, everything went right, but Ari was just kind of painting this picture for me, and she was just like, hey, Kev, that we need somebody like you out there, because you're good with crowds, you're good with people, you're, you want to have conversations, and there are, these counter-protesters are insane, like, she was, t- I think she told me a story on Juneteenth where she was saying that, um, a couple of them were sitting in the back of a pickup truck with with ARs. Wow. Like ready, like ready. Mm. And California's not even an open carry state. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 nuts. So I went out there, you know, expecting that, expecting we're like, oh shoot, should I, you know, 
should I bring extra pepper spray this time? Should I bring a taser? You know, and I didn't have to because it was, it was like I said, the reception was amazing. Yeah. And, then and you, it was just you so said good. that you guys went to the district attorney's Jackie Lacey's house. Yes, we did. Her residence. Oh yeah. How'd that go? <sighs> that one was okay. You want to talk intense? I've never felt besides May 31st, obviously in Huntington, when we got tear gas, that was probably the worst one. But, uh, I've never felt so much tension. You know, like those standoff scenes in cowboy movies or the yeah. standoff between the villain and the hero before they like go at each other in a superhero movie. That's yeah. what it felt like. Like these guys were ready. Like, and when I say ready, Diana, they, they, they didn't have all the gear on, but they had enough gear on to know, Hey, no, nah, we're here. Yeah. So don't think about doing anything. We're here. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was one of those. We had to literally, I went up to the, I went up to the head, uh, I want to say the deputy, and I asked him, I said, hey, where's the line at? He's like, get behind the line. I'm like, where's the line at? He said, why don't you look at it? You know, they were just rude from the get-go. I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those types of things. Anybody yeah. makes a wrong move, we're getting, we're getting tear gas. So I was telling everybody at the beginning, I said, look, <sighs> just stay behind this line. And nobody's going to get shot with rubber bullets. I'm not trying to get shot today. I know you guys aren't. So let's just play their game. But we said what we had to say, though. So it worked out. But it was very tense. It was yeah. very intense. What very do you, intense. What do you feel like um, with the militar- militarization? Militarization? Like, militar- or, you say it. <laughs> Mil- it's uh, militarization. How the how the yeah, police tough, look like tough. the military <laughs> instead of more like peacekeepers, they look more like the military. How do you feel about that? You mean like as far as like the the gear they're they're mm-hmm. wearing? Yeah. Oh, uh, that's it's it's a scare tactic. That's literally what it is. It's I mean, obviously, you know, they they're they're pretty trained, but uh, if it comes down to it, I mean, I don't think they're military trained, but they're pretty close. Mm-hmm. So, I think most of it is a scare tactic, like riot gear, you know um that's all of that is just all of that is just you know smoke up smoke up the chimney you know it's it's a, uh, it's 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 kind of more shock and awe type of deal mm-hmm. like because they used to back in world war ii they used to and i love that you brought up how they look because if you look up world war ii um ss soldiers not just the normal soldiers but like hitler's he had this group called the ss where they were like riot gear all the time like the heavy mm. boots the like 20 pound boots that would like crush somebody all that that's literally what the riot gear kind of looks like it to me personally mm-hmm. but that's kind of what i see whenever i see it and i and i just think it's a scare tactic just like hitler's was it, it's a scare tactic that's all it is it's a scare tactic because at the end of the day like i said you're i i, I would hope this never happens but you know you you'll never see a cop just straight up grab a non rubber bullet gun and just start spraying into a crowd. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's why they give them the rubber guns. You know what I'm saying? That's why I'm saying it, it's, it wouldn't be really serious to me until I saw him load a rail clip in there. Then I'm like, Oh shit. Okay. It's like really going down. You know what I mean? But like rubber bullets hurt though <laughs> for a personal experience. They're, they're, Do they, they really? They hurt. Oh Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but a kid got killed in, what was it, Los Angeles? I want to say Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Yeah. It split his head open. Oh, wow. It split his head head open. Yeah. It was crazy. That's crazy. It was crazy. 
yeah it was crazy that's amazing and um yeah it's 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 really bad and and you know it's funny there Ari I think Ari told me this and Candace I don't know if you met Candace but she's friends with Ari and um she told me an interesting factoid about rubber bullets so she told me she showed me the size of one she showed me a picture that thing is huge it's really? not small like everybody thinks oh yeah it, this thing's huge and they're supposed to shoot at your feet not at the people yeah like that's that's what's nuts you're sitting there seeing videos and i know you've seen them diana yeah they're shooting directly at people it's like why they're not they're not gonna hurt you they can't do anything they're, they're not you know and just like i said it's it's a scare tactic but at the end of the day they'll use it if they got it so have you ever heard have you ever heard or had a discussion about how white supremacy came to to be we got into this discussion and i'm curious to see if you've t- ever talked to anybody about you know about how- you talking about like the birth of the kkk and stuff like that yeah or just like how you perpetuate white white hate I think it all goes back to, I think it all goes back to, uh, I think it all goes back to slavery because yeah. Oh yeah. I think, um, there's a great, um, there's a great, uh, Instagram, uh, there, there, I don't know if that you, you would call it a book, but it's not really a book, but it was on Instagram and I saw it the other day and I saved it to my bookmarks. I'll, I'll share it to you later, but, uh, this guy, his name was, Mar- I think it's D.B. Marquise, or it's Marquise something, but he did this research, and he took from the first 20 slaves to step foot on the land that we call North and South America. Mm-hmm. He took the story of the first 20 slaves that were brought here all the way to George Floyd's death, and he connected them all with historical accuracy. Hmm. And it, this, this, when you read this, Diana, it's nuts because they, he put, um, how, let's just say, for example, number 45, cause it's 60 bullet points. Okay. And he said, like, for example, 45 was like, oh, this is Martin Luther King, you know, Martin Luther King's assassination, blah, blah, blah. And then it'll say, oh, the end result of this, see, like, I'll go back to 26 and then you'll go back to 26 and you'll be like, wow, these things interpolate these things are interconnected Hmm. and nobody knew and it's it's insane you know and so my whole thing like you said to answer your question on the white white supremacy having that talk with somebody i've had that talk with my dad a lot because my dad's very light like he 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 he, he looks pretty white like my dad's my dad's very light complexion so if you ever see me and my dad together you'll be like hey why are you with who's that weird guy you're with you know that really tall guy because you're short um and i'm just like hey, that's my dad but um <laughs> he's had that conversation with me my my grandfather actually grew up in montgomery alabama during like you know right before the civil rights movement like during that time he grew up in montgomery so he saw mm-hmm. it when they when uh they put the dogs on him and stuff like mm-hmm. when they when yeah. the i forgot his name bill or burr something or whatever that really evil a uh, police chief that was in montgomery but they put the dogs on him and you know i'd have stories from my grandpa that that he would tell me and he would just tell me like hey you know racism is racism can be unlearned but it can't be untaught Hmm. so feeding that to your kids and feeding that to future generations is part of why white supremacy still exists in 2020 and i don't think it's i don't think i'm gonna see the end of it i don't think you're gonna see the end of it i don't think my kids are gonna see the end of it maybe my kids kids 
but I want to try as hard as I can while I'm living, while I'm still able to fight, you know, to see the end of it. But it's just, it's really hard. Like you said earlier, it's an uphill battle. Like what, when you asked me about what Rock Era wants to do, it's an uphill battle. It's a, it's an uphill battle and it's really tough. And, you know, them hanging all these kids now, you know, and people want to say it's a suicide. That's probably the most absurd thing I've ever heard. But, you know, it just shows they're doubling down because they know that their way of life is being threatened. This is the biggest movement in history. This is bigger than the civil rights movement. Yeah. Like that's, and that scares them. I so. think that I think that white supremacy and any kind of like uh, certain race supremacy comes from. I think you can tie it back to the same things we did with organized religion and how. We, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a big one how we will tell poor, you know, the poor people in Rome or the poor, you know, the peasants in, you know, any, any place, you know, even though your life's shit and your children are dying of dysentery and polo and mm-hmm. polio, uh, that's okay that your life is shit right now because when you go to heaven, mm-hmm. you're going to have a place no. at God's hand. And it's not, it's one of those things that like, it's kind of like you're buying, um, people's obedience and they're not going to like rise up riot against because you know they believe in this god that's gonna save them and make everything right and i'm not saying i don't believe in god i actually do believe in god okay same here i'm a catholic (laughs) i was raised catholic and then i've been okay i take my kids to christian churches out here but i you know i have jewish friends and um muslim friends and um, I kind of believe in sort of like a lovely blending of all of it, you know, which is oh, yeah. still, you know, it's my, I'm in my middle age and I'm still on that journey trying to figure that out and then navigating, trying to like figure out what to teach to my kids. Right. But the bottom line is, is I think that there is a certain subset of society who are the haves that feed the have nots a story that, well, you know, if you're good, then you're going to go to heaven. Exactly. So behave is basically the message. (laughs) And then on the flip side of that, I think that we've done that. Um, You know, we sell this bill of goods to poor white people. You know, if you work hard, you know, um, at least you're better than the blacks or at least you're better than those Mexicans. (laughs) You're three fifths of a person. (laughs) Yeah. That's what they used to say. Yeah. I think that there's, you know, well, I might be poor. I might not be able to, you know, get a fair wage, but at least I'm better. I'm not, you know, a black person, essentially. Exactly. And I think exactly. when we look at that, like, you can't make yourself, you can't make your shitty situation better by looking down on someone else and saying, well, at least you're shittier than me. That doesn't make you any healthier or any wealthier or any of it. So oh, wow. I'm I glad think, someone said it. <laughs> I think that there's something to be said for, you know, it's okay to let other people rise it's not going to make it so that you can't still rise diversity could benefit us all and oh yeah i know that if my children had a black teacher if my son had a black teacher over the last 15 years he would have had a richer experience and he would have been more prepared if he's you know say he's getting i lived in atlanta for 10 years i lived with uh, in communities with a lot of black people but he hasn't had that experience you know, and yeah. I think that he would have had a richer experience and he would have been more prepared to take a job in Chicago or take a job in the middle of L.A. Um, oh, yeah. And he's not prepared since he basically was raised in Orange County. 
So, which yeah. is not the end of, you know, that's not the end of the world. He certainly is a good person. He can acclimate. But I just think, like, with that diverse experience, it, life could be so much better. Well, it's like you learn to, and, and to kind of piggyback off what you said, it's like you kind of learn to, you kind of learn about your privilege, you know? Yeah. When you live in a place like Orange County, you have no idea what privilege is. No. It, I mean, I actually, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that. that that's kind of harsh. Um, you, no, I you, think it's you true, have though. a very, you have a, oh, and it is. And, um, but I, I, I'm trying to think of a better way to word it. Um, it's something you don't know what your privilege is. You, you, you may know what it is, but you may not know of it. You know what I mean? See that you see the difference there. Yeah, like knowing think- something and knowing about it is two different things. And that's what I think people need to understand is like, you know, knowing, knowing about white privilege and acknowledging that you have it are two different things. Yeah. Well, and, I didn't you know. even realize I, I, I mean, I'd heard the term white privilege before and I always have felt mm-hmm. like I'm super privileged anyways, just, Oh, I there you like, go. See. I always have felt like I've had like an angel on my shoulder. Like I've had my life going down the sewer and somehow things work out, you know, it, you know, I've been through mm-hmm. a divorce and a, a, a nearly failed adoption because of the divorce, but that ended up working out. And, you know, I've always felt like life is good, you know, but oh, yeah. at, this, at the same time, I just feel like everybody deserves to feel like that, you know, and it, it, it kind of makes me, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like, it makes me sad that everyone wouldn't have the same opportunity or close to the same opportunity as I've had to have success. Um, take for instance, like Sue that I interviewed yesterday, black lesbian woman living in Long Beach. Um, and she was talking about how she sees other white lesbian women who have daddy's money and, you know, therefore they're able to open shops or, you know, Mm -hmm. start businesses or whatever, because they have Mm -hmm. that, that back. And that's who I am. I have always had financial backing from my parents if I needed it. And when you go Mm -hmm. back, I don't know about your family, but if you go back several generations, you know, my grandfather, my great grandfather was an immigrant. He was able to work and pass on money to his son who passed on money to his daughter, which was my mother. And my mother has always been able to help me. And therefore I was a homeowner much younger than some of my friends of color whose parents, if you go back four generations were, they were slaves. yeah, probably. I'm I mean, they yeah, four, slaves yeah, four anymore, generations. but you know, they call that slavery by another name, which is like the husbands get scooped up for not having a job and get put into the jail system. And so they're in jail and then the moms yep. are doing two jobs because they have to work twice as hard because the dad's not around. He's in jail. And, you know, you know the whole story. So kid, kid grows up. Yeah, kid grows up without a father. Yeah. Gets put into the system and uh, goes to prison. Prison, uh, school to prison pipeline. Gosh, man. School to prison pipeline. Yep, exactly. I'm telling so, you. I'm telling you. It's crazy. It's, yeah. It's, that's, that's a. It's mind-boggling. Man, you can, do, very you can do a whole season on that, yeah. <laughs> honestly. It's very interesting to me because I feel like, in some ways, I feel like such an asshole having these conversations because I really, honestly, have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about most of the time, you know? And I'm Chelsea, listening. Diana, we're glad you are. We're <laughs> glad you're having these conversations. I'm listening. We love I'm tr- it. <laughs> I'm trying to, like, decipher, trying to watch more stuff that, you know, and I'm not the smart, I'm not dumb, but I'm not like, I'm, it's not like I'm a scholar. So I'm trying to put mm. all the pieces of the puzzle together. But I think to myself, you know, if I record this now and I could maybe inspire some other people to start recording stuff or making videos or whatever, documenting. And then in a year from now, we see 
like maybe I'm going to be way more scholarly in a year from now. And I'm going to know a lot more from having these conversations with you guys. And maybe we all will, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, definitely. That, that shared knowledge could be power. Definitely. Um, because I definitely, definitely, I definitely did. Not only was I not getting up in front of the city council and saying, Hey, you guys, I think we need to do something about the fact that there's no black teachers in the Huntington beach school district. I said that offer an incentive, do something. Yeah. I said that (laughs) last night. I'm going to say it in two weeks from now when they have again, I'm saying the exact same speech. I'm going to modify it and beef it up and make it better. And I'm going to say it two weeks after that until Mm -hmm. we start finding a committee that wants to reach out and find people of color that want to work here. Cause I think it's, it's, it's really important, but I'll tell you the difference between that. And then like six weeks ago, I didn't even know that my son, I didn't even know. I never thought about it. Never even dawned on me. And I'm standing out there holding the sign. I look over at Jen. I go, Hey, have your boys ever had a black teacher? Cause her boys are close friends with my girls. She's like, mm-hmm. Nope. I'm like me neither. So then I start asking my friends and doing a little research. And I realized no yeah, black exactly. teachers. So exactly. I wouldn't have even known it had I not been out protesting and had my mind open enough. You know, I was, busy like making muffins and cleaning the house and taking the dog to the room and shit like that and those are all important things but i think it also is important for us to have these conversations and help each other even if they're super awkward and they're super hard to have i mean those are the best types those are the best types well and there's some like awkward things that i'm not really that brave i'm not brave enough to ask yet because i don't want to be insulting and i don't want to come off as cruel well um here since 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 you did ask me a question earlier that felt kind of you know i'm trying to remember how you put it you said it was kind of hard to answer do you have another one that you're kind of scared to ask because i'm giving you permission you can totally ask it. i'm an open book i will not get offended so if you have another one diana just shoot it i got you yeah i don't though i think the one thing that i often wonder and I'm not talking about like, there's some of these like cut and dry, you know, we were playing cops and robbers and it was so sad that this happened, you know, but then there's some of them mm-hmm. where I'm like, what, what part does the person who gets killed play? And I'm not saying that you should ever lose your life. Um, in, in a best case scenario, you would, you know, be arrested and let the, the justice system work. Right. That's a best case scenario. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. in what, in what types of situations not only is the victim responsible for, you know, part or all of what, what goes down, but also what part is society playing in that someone would, you know, be doing anything that's coming up against the police in general. Now that's a question. Like for instance, I had the conversation with Sue yesterday. She told me that she got stopped twice in one week just for being black she's at a fucking del taco and and excuse my oh, french yeah. but no I'm this not, I'm really not, okay. shaky sheriff came up came a young lady who was a sheriff came up and was like mm. hey are you sure you guys aren't selling jail uh selling drugs and kind of hassle oh, her and she's like it just, she goes i almost came to tears i'm like this shit keeps happening to me and i'm just pleased i just got off work i just want to get a taco and it's that kind of stuff where i'm like okay i see what we have to reform i see how training has to change but I also wonder in some of these situations, like, like what kind of like, what do we need to do differently as a society where 
what part is not the police officer's fault? Um, so, okay. So, so basically, so let me get this straight. So your question is basically in some of these situations, how is the cop not at fault? Is that what you're saying? It relatively? No, not really. No, I don't mean it like, uh, uh, like, like no, 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 killing. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, at what point does do like we need to raise kids differently or do a different job I, I, with, you know? Oh, okay, I, I see what you. Oh, okay, no, no, you know what? I'm glad you said that. Okay, okay. So, I think I think it's not really about raising kids. I think it's just more about. You know, it, it's it, it being a person of color is really tough in this country, and yeah. and it's you know there's so much history that people like to suppress, and it's mm-hmm. really sad. So to answer your question, it's like it's 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 tough to really come up with a concrete answer because it, parents of you know I and I'm and I'm sure I don't know if you've talked to your friend about this if she's had the talk with her kids yet about you know the police and stuff, but it. it I saw a video the other day where this, this mom, this single mom was having this talk and her daughter was five years old. Yeah. His daughter was, her daughter was five years old. And it's like, how much younger can they get before, you know, you have right. them before you can tell them like, Hey, you know, this is what you need to do. Hands up. My dad always told me hands on two and 10. You're not reaching for anything till they ask it. And if you do not understand what they're asking you to do, just keep asking. Don't move and ask. Don't blink and ask. Just look directly at them and say, "What can you please repeat what you want me to do, sir?" Yeah. And and it's just you know it's and you see some of these cases where it's like, uh, there was one in Mesa, Arizona. I want to say 2017. This this guy, he was an exterminator, and they 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 killed him and they had ar-15s like these cops were loaded this this cop looked like he was in riot gear and this they're asking him to crawl without using his hands how do you crawl without using your hands like they said crawl towards me without using your hands that makes no sense how am i going to keep my hands in the air when 80 percent of my body is on the ground right like you know that's it's and, and it's i think it's it like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to come up with the answer for that because we're, we're teaching our kids to do so much and it's still not working. Yeah. And it's still not working. So it, it, at the end of the day, if, if, if you're, if you're doing all you can to do something and it's still not working, maybe it's the other thing and not you, you know? Yeah. But, but to answer your question, you know, there, there probably are cases where cops have had to use force. But maybe some of those cases where they had to use force, they didn't need to use deadly force. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Eric Gardner, why why are 10 people, I'm exaggerating, it was like six or seven. Why why are six or seven cops strangling this guy? I mean, I know he's a big dude, but Jesus, mm-hmm. it's like, you have seven dudes holding him down. And like with George Floyd, why do you have three dudes on his back? Well, what? Well, then the, for the full eight minutes and 46 seconds or whatever it was, where are the other three cops being the voice of reason for this other cop? They that obviously the... doesn't, isn't in his right mind to do that. And, and, and I'm going to tell you something really powerful. I don't know if, are you a fan of Dave Chappelle? Do you yes, like Dave Chappelle? I do. Yeah. Okay. Did you watch, did you watch his 846 thing on Instagram? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, I'm going to watch, I'm going to send it to you because it's a stand-up thing that he did during COVID-19, like recently, like mm-hmm. right after George Floyd died. I, and it's, uh, 
it's a thing, and it's called 846, and I'm going to tell you exactly what he said. So they said, he said, this man kneeled on this man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, and what were the cops doing? They were sitting there with their hands in their pockets, and you know what he says? He looks at the crowd because he was reading from a book, and he looks at him, and he says, what are you signifying? What are you standing for by showing people, hey, I'm going to let this man kill this man right in front of everybody? Yep. What are you signifying? Who are you talking to? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like to, to think that, and you're religious, so I can say this, I'm religious too. To think that you, as as three pe- keepers of the peace, and as three people that are that took an oath to protect and serve, you think that you can just let this man kneel on this man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds and think that you won't get the wrath of God is just terrible. Mm-hmm. And people are so shocked that everybody's protesting so tough. And it's like the moment every, I knew the moment I watched that video, no one was going home. No, no, nothing's going to come back from this. Everyone is going to be furious mm-hmm. because now it's just, they're spitting in your face showing, Hey, another black person. But this time we're going to show you the full death. We're not just going to show you the last five seconds of it. We're going to show you the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's what that was. Yeah. <laughs>